This episode of Sydney Untold depicts scenes of assault and physical abuse, which might be distressing to some individuals. Listener discretion is advised. A Hobo Hut Media production. Every city has its secrets, and Sydney is no exception. Welcome to Sydney Untold, a podcast about uncovering Sydney's hidden locations and history. From abandoned tunnels to secret gardens to even the most haunted road in the world. Let's step back in time as we uncover some of Sydney's secret past. In the last episode, we explored the forgotten history of the National Arts School, which used to be a jail. But today, we walk only a few metres to its eastern side and explore a different side of Sydney, the forgotten beat at the Darlinghurst Wall. The wall for gay men has a real, very special place because of its proximity initially to Green Park, which was a place where men would go and find Mr Wright for the night. That's the voice of Gary Wotherspoon. He's a Sydney historian with an interest in Sydney's gay history. In the camp world, we couldn't meet people like the straight ones could at your church socials or your sporting clubs or things like that. And so probably from the 60s, 70s and into the early 80s, the wall was a wonderful place to go cruising. Until 1984, sodomy was considered a criminal offence in New South Wales. Homosexuality as such was never criminal. That's the voice of the Honourable Michael Kirby, a former Justice of the Australian High Court. He was the first openly gay justice in Australia. You were not criminalised because you were homosexual. You were criminalised if you performed particular acts. Criminal law attached to the particular acts not to the status of being gay or to proclivities to that status, but to action giving effect to the status. Although shockingly, it wasn't until 1997 that homosexuality was fully decriminalised, with Tasmania being the last state. As a result, cook-up spots and beats were quite popular during the dead of night in Sydney and much of Australia. It was a way to have a bit of fun without attracting too much unwanted attention. There were many locations within Sydney. One such location was the Darlinghurst Wall and more importantly, Green Park. I think as a pickup location, Green Park, probably from the 1920s, a lot of the big old mansions around there were turned into sort of boarding houses. In the 1920s, there was apartment blocks built. So there was a lot of single men, itinerant men moving around that area. And so the Green Park toilet would have been a place for single men to go to find others like themselves. The wall itself was probably from the 50s and 60s on. For many people who identified as being part of the LGBT community, like Gary, you had to be careful. My sex life was illegal till I was 44, so you learned. If you thought someone was attractive and might make a pass at them, they might punch you in the face. So it was much more dangerous then. So you really had to be so much more careful. Basically, there was a deal that was struck. It was a deal between gay people and society. 
if you kept your head down and if you pretended that you were straight, then you were left alone. For the gay community, the 50s were a horrendous time to be growing up. And by the end of the decade, hundreds of gay men were being arrested each year for so-called offensive behaviour. Police corruption was massive, and the then police commissioner, Colin Delaney, had declared an outright war on homosexuality. The police commissioner said the two greatest threats facing Australia are communism and homosexuality. By the end of the 50s, he'd narrowed it down that the greatest threat was homosexuality. Police often used agent provocateur in public bathrooms known to be hookup locations. They would entrap men into confessing they were a homosexual. The usual way things were done was that very handsome young constables were set to work to pretend that they were a gay men seeking sexual contact and they would essentially trap gay people. This meant you had to be really careful about what you said to anyone. You didn't know if there were police or someone who might just turn you in. And that's what the Beats were, a place where you could ask someone a very innocent question. So that's why Beats, I think, were very important, a place where you could go and, you know, you could ask someone, oh, what's the time or have you got a light or something like that, which could start a seemingly innocuous conversation. But then the conversation could move on and, oh, what are you doing? Do you want to go and have a drink or something like that? So your move, my move, your move, my move, and who knows? The 50s also saw the opening of the Cooma Correctional Centre. This prison was first of its kind for the world and was set up to detain men convicted of homosexuality. And it was created by Reg Downing, QC. He was the Attorney General in the Labor government he helped to set up Cooma Prison as a special prison for gay people. Downing lobbied for the reopening of the jail in 1957 and established a committee to study the men imprisoned there to find the cause and treatment for homosexuality. This saw prisoners being studied like rats in a lab, being subjected to torture and shock therapy. I knew Reg Downing when I was a very young barrister, and he was a, an old, oldish barrister who'd retired from politics. He was a particularly nice man. He was very gentle, he was a family man, he was not a nasty person, but he accepted the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church and of the police commissioner. That this was an epidemic and that, that it had to be dealt with. But the 60s really began to change in Sydney. The baby boomers came up and they just wanted to change everything. The sexual revolution, the pill for women, women's liberation, all those things started. That was a time in which we could start to experience a lot more. From my point of view, I started to find pubs in the city. There were a lot more places you could go to. Australia Hotel had a big bar at the back. The Carlton had a dugout bar downstairs. So there were pubs in the city where on certain nights of the week they were very, very camp, as the word was then. Corruption of the police meant that many of these places, nominally illegal, because we were still illegal then, were paying the police, and so the police turned a blind eye for money. As the 80s shuffled in, the rise of the AIDS epidemic reared its head in Australia. HIV and AIDS was considered by some groups to be a gay disease. Well, it was very distressing because many friends and lovers whom I knew, loved and respected, became infected 
It was an amazingly bad time. Initially, we didn't know what was causing it. I gave up Amyl for six months because I had no idea. We just didn't know. Amyl is a shorthand for amyl nitrate, a party drug commonly known as poppers. We have to thank Neil Blewett, Peter Bohm, David Cooper, Ron Penny, the other great doctors at that time, for insisting that we've got to involve the LGBTIQ community, and that community responded with great intelligence. As the world figured out that the cause of HIV and AIDS was from blood and semen transmission, we saw a rise in safe sex campaigns. Most predominantly, in 1992, Australian artist David McDermott, who with ACON, an LGBT AIDS prevention organisation, released a series of five pro-gay and pro-sex posters addressing that anyone could get AIDS and that it wasn't just a problem for people who were positive. The problem with those was they were largely in all the gay venues and for men who have sex with men who don't identify as gay and a lot of those suburban beats, that's all that they are. These are happily married suburban men who want a little fiddle or play sometimes. So when the public toilet in Green Park was taken down, you couldn't put posters up along the wall saying, you know, don't suck a man's cock or don't do anything like that. It was very hard to get the message out to them. On the 4th of April 1984, the City Council made the decision to demolish the public toilets located at Green Park, much to the dissatisfaction of the LGBT community. As the government saw it, it wasn't safe for anyone to be around, which in hindsight is crazy to think. And in the name of public safety, it was set to be removed. However, before that could happen, a group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence was sent to the scene and rightfully took the urinal from the public toilets. Well, as soon as the word got around that they were going to demolish this, this was a sacred site. Men had been on their knees there, worshipping and doing interesting things there for years and years and years. So I think one night when the place was partly demolished, a group of the nuns went in and retrieved the urinal. It's hidden away at a place, I think, in Petersham, I think. It's a secret site where it is, just in case it has to be re-brought back for some major event. And so... It's there waiting a rebirth. Now, these weren't your average nuns. They were, in fact, gay men. The order originally came from California, founded in 1979. And in their words, they exist because there is bigotry and hatred in the hearts and minds of people who are taught to fear difference rather than rejoice in similarity. They chose nuns and the church because other than the law, The church was the largest organisation to oppress the LGBT community. Their aim is to make the world a better place, a place where anyone, regardless of their religion, race, sexuality or gender identity, can live peacefully. Sydney's chapter was founded in 1981. How tongue-in-cheek can you be about religion and sexuality? They had very interesting names. You had a mother inferior rather than a mother superior. Sister Mary, sit on my face. There was a whole range of rather risque names. And they were hauled along if you wanted to do a spoof event somewhere. They'd give you an exorcism or they'd give you a blessing. Over the years, they grew and appeared at various events. I think some of them are still around. A lot of them have been retired and sent off to whatever old nunneries for gay male nuns exist. Let's come back to Green Park. If you've walked around the park, you've probably noticed a pink sculpture with black poles. It's an artwork created by Sydney artist Russell Rodrigo. 
The artwork was built in 2001 and was meant to commemorate all the homosexual men and women who had been prosecuted, tortured and murdered because of their sexuality. It celebrates the memory of those who were victims of oppression during the Holocaust and the Soviet labour camps and is also dedicated to present-day gay and lesbian victims of violence in Australia and throughout the world. The pink triangular prism, made from enamelled steel and a grid of black columns, comes together to create a fractured Star of David. The prism contains etched images of people who suffered prosecution at Nazi concentration camps. The pink represents gay men and the black represents lesbian women. The pink triangle symbolism is also worth mentioning. The pink triangle was used as a method of identification for gay men in concentration camps. Lesbians and trans men weren't systematically imprisoned, however they were often lumped in with gay men by being given a black triangle and called asocial. While Green Park and the Darlinghurst Wall might be the most recognisable beats in Sydney, it's certainly not the only one. Another important beat was Hyde Park, which is next to St James Station and backs onto Oxford Street, and has been referred to as a place where transgressive sexual activities could occur. Inside the park, the iconic Archibald Memorial Fountain named after J.F. Archibald, owner of the Bolton magazine. Since its construction in March 1932, the fountain has been known as one of Sydney's most homoerotic public artworks, as it depicts many naked men. It's been said that one man who frequented the fountain would put nail polish on two nails, and when he would ask a man he thought was gay for a match, he would show those two nails this display of effeminacy would be a signal. Another beat is Alexander Park in the inner city. This beat is notorious due to the murder of 33-year-old Richard Johnson. Late at night on January 15th, 1990, a group of eight teenagers were playing basketball in Sydney's inner city. The group would later be known as the Alexandra Eight. The group, aged 16 to 18, were mostly students or former students from nearby Cleveland Street High with a couple from a separate Catholic school. One of the boys suggested to visit the public toilets at Alexandra Park and find the number scrawled on the side of one of the toilets. They call the number, and the unsuspecting Richard Johnson arrived at the bathroom shortly after, searching for his mystery hookup. The group of teenage boys ran towards him, knocking him to the ground with one blow. They then began kicking and punching his head until he was left fatally wounded on the ground. A post-mortem examination reveals that all parts of his body had suffered severe assault. The group were later arrested, and when they were interviewed, they simply told detectives they did it because he was gay. Of the eight, only three men were jailed.
So what was the cause for a decline in beats like the Darlinghurst Wall and Green Park? Look, I think sex on premises venues. I mean, why stand around the wall trying to pick some It's hard to have sex there at night. The only place you could do sex there was over in Green Park and there wasn't a lot of foliage around. Whereas nearby was Signal, the Den, all these sex on premises venues where you could pay five, ten dollars and go in and have it in warmth and comfort and I think the other thing that probably from the, certainly in the 21st century, uh, grinder and things like that. Why go out when, hello, you get on the phone, within 100 metres, if you're in an apartment block, there's 20 people, two or three floors down. I believe that it's valuable to understand the importance of locations like the Wall and Green Park. They represent a rich part of Sydney's dark past and a reminder to all that society needs to move past things like bigotry towards people based on their sexuality, ethnicity or gender identity, but instead be more caring and respectful to one another. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sydney Untold. I hope you've enjoyed learning about the history of the forgotten beats at the Darlinghurst Wall and Green Park. This episode of Sydney Untold was hosted, written, produced and edited by Harry Hughes. Thank you to our associate producer, Adam Hughes, plus Gary Wotherspoon and the Honourable Michael Kirby for their interviews and agreeing to appear on the podcast. Hobo Hut Media Group would like to recognise the Gadigal people past and present, the location of which this episode was located. Links for more information about the Darlinghurst Wall and Green Park are available in the show notes below.